Scene 6. The Scarlet and the White. Town Hall of Ithaca. Frigg's Day, Compline. Night, 24th of March, 1283. Eve of the Feast of the Annunciation. New Year's Eve. Standing on the top step of the town hall, Mayor Hiram Ulysses sees the Baron of Amherst, wrapped in chains, approach. He bows. With a gentle motion of his hand, he issues his invitation. Please step right up, Lord Amherst. The coroner believes you might enjoy meeting some of my guests. Soaking wet, wheezing, and with snot dripping from his nose like a leaky faucet, Lord Geoffrey, Baron of Amherst, Commander-General of the English Crown's Expeditionary Forces in Montreal, stands before Mayor Hiram Ulysses with the bearing of a conquered conqueror, no less than Vercingetorix before Caesar after the Battle of Alasia. The captain of the Tower Guard removes the fetters from the Baron's wrists, but the two Ithacan guards stand by close enough that their body odor becomes oppressive. A detachment of town militia in soaking wet padded armor and armed to the hilt with spears, swords, crossbows, and long axes stand inside, guarding Sir Sean Madigan. Lord Amherst notices his herald sitting on the bench with a dejected face. Get up, Amherst snaps. This is no time to be warming a bench, Sir Sean. I need you to get your head in the game. Get up, I say. Sir Sean pulls himself together and follows his leader. After Amherst and his herald walk into the room, Mayor Hiram Ulysses speaks up. Allow me to commend you, Sir Sean, for your loyalty in turning yourself in as our prisoner. Have a seat, and allow me to introduce you to some men whose opinions I trust. Ithaca's coroner, the Honorable Sir Walter Raleigh, and Master Ezra Cornwell, Chancellor of the Silvermorn College of Sorcerers. At the end of the table is a very holy Dominican friar, Father Peter Sheen. Father Sheen was recently appointed Special Inquisitor for the Black Flame Heresy in Vinland. The Baron of Amherst gathers his pride and nods his head before speaking. What an august gathering! Now, Lord Mayor, can you please explain to me how you dare refuse to quarter the king's troops in your town as is our right by English law? The coroner steps right up to field that question. The king's authority has been abused too often throughout his realms. Law-abiding subjects of the English crown cannot be forced to quarter troops without their consent. If we let several thousand armed men run loose in this city, they will begin breaking into homes, roasting chickens and pigs for a midnight snack, taking advantage of the womenfolk, and roughing up anyone who stands in their way. Before you attacked this English city, we offered to ask for volunteers and assign your troops' quarters, one by one, in an orderly manner. Poppycock, you know full well that we'd never be able to house all my troops if we asked for volunteers. English law is clear. Maybe you were hoping to find a lawyer's excuse to add Ithaca to your conquests? Bah! I don't give a goose quill for lawyers. I act in the king's interest. My troops have had a long march. Many are sick. If they are forced to spend the night in the cold and the rain, we won't make it to New York. I mean, New Amsterdam with sufficient forces. New Amsterdam has already been conquered, and as far as I know, Count Richard Nicholas intends to rename it New Lancaster. Your little slip of the tongue piques my curiosity. You say you're hoping to bring sufficient forces to... Overthrow Count Nicholas, perhaps, and rename the city New York instead? 
Without batting an eyelash, Amherst deflects the mayor's accurate accusations in a masterful way. Regrettably, Count Nicholas had a very unfortunate and untimely accident at sea. Sufficient troops will be necessary to restore order in the absence of his leadership, since the Viking population is restive and on the edge of rebellion. Only a firm and steady hand will avert more bloodshed. From what I hear, the acting governor, Sir Samuel Maverick, has some, shall we say, unorthodox methods for dealing with dissent. The situation is grave, and I need to get to the scene quickly and with my troops healthy enough to deal with it. Dire situation indeed. Please show us the king's orders appointing you mayor of New Amsterdam. The crisis is too new. I assure you, the coroner cuts him off mid-sentence with a raised hand. Yes, yes, I've heard it all. What we have here is a clear case of yet another power-hungry noble abusing the crown's authority to trample the rights of the king's loyal subjects. Attacking a town loyal to the king is either an act of treason or rebellion. The punishment for both is death. Do you deny the charges? The coroner stares straight into the eyes of the Baron of Amherst clearly hoping to provoke him to act rashly. The Baron of Amherst does not flinch, but calmly takes stock of the situation. He realizes every man at this table hopes for his death except one, the Inquisitor. You know, politics is never a good conversation topic at the dinner table. With a show of respect, Amherst turns toward Inquisitor Sheen. What we should be discussing is the soundness of our religion in Vinland. Can you tell me now, Reverend Inquisitor Sheen, about this black flame heresy and how I, as a loyal son of Holy Mother the Church, can help extirpate this threat to the faith in Vinland? Inquisitor Sheen is happy to oblige. He explains, Fire promotes warmth, light, and life, all symbols of God's goodness. Heretics go around sputtering on about this new discovery they call black flame, but it is contrary to nature. It chills, hides, and kills. The Cathars in Europa preached a religion where the soul is good and the body is bad. Oh, do tell. I know so little about these Cathars. The Cathars take their name from the Greek word for pure, katharos, but the Greeks are too orthodox to call them pure, so they call them vrykolikos instead. The Baron of Amherst, not much of a theologian, puts on a serious face and nods as if he agrees. Mm, pina coladas, daiquiris, it's all Greek to me, but I can tell that this is all so very serious. We must do something. Indeed, replies the Inquisitor. They finally developed a spiritual technology whereby they are able to purify their own souls from their bodies in this life. They use the black flame to accomplish this. Amherst's eyes widen with comprehension. So basically, you're telling me that they want to be dead? Inquisitor Sheen lifts a finger in the air. Oh no, not dead, undead. The Baron of Amherst rubs his chin pensively as he speaks. You know, dear father Inquisitor, that my sword has always been at the service of Holy Mother the Church. But these worldly men around us seem bent on my destruction. If only the holy office of the Inquisition could assert its influence on this matter, you would find me a worthy champion to combat this black flame heresy. The coroner and the mayor seethe at Amherst's attempt to undermine their authority through the church. Seeing the consternation on the faces of the powerful men around the table, Inquisitor Sheen proceeds cautiously and wisely. As an Inquisitor of the Holy Church of Roma, I have no jurisdiction over secular matters here. 
The captain of the gate tower guard snickers with glee at that last comment and makes a gesture as if tightening a noose around his neck, then points to Amherst. They all look at him with irritation over his indiscretion. The captain fakes a burp, puts a fist over his mouth, and mutters, Excuse me. The Inquisitor continues, If you should confess your sins as a priest, I have Christ's authority to absolve you of them. That would not interfere with any punishment the civil authorities might impose. Amherst knows there is a way out. But, but, continues the Inquisitor, if you take up the cross against the Black Flame heresy as a crusader, it would grant you a plenary indulgence from all temporal and spiritual punishments due to those sins, including the death penalty. Trying to repress a smile, the Baron of Amherst lifts his eyebrows in a show of theatrical piety and hopes on his life that the Inquisitor will go with it. Yes, a plenary indulgence is just what my soul needs about now. I confess that I have greatly sinned and I sincerely repent of it all. Before you all, I take up the cross and the crusader's vow to never return home until the black flame heresy is wiped from the face of Vinland. The Inquisitor holds up his hand to restrain the Baron's enthusiasm. The efforts of valiant crusaders over the past two centuries have been stifled by insincere oath-takers and weak-willed Christians. Before agreeing to bestow upon you the crusader's cross, I must put your resolve to the test. An informant has tipped me off that a heretic is currently visiting the Fire Elf community at Tuscarora Mountain. He goes by the name of Johnny Appleseed. All the notables in the room gasp. Mayor Ulysses exclaims, but he's such a kindly old man. The Inquisitor raises his hand to silence the objectors. We have many undeniable reports of crazed, undead wendigos infesting the forests around Tuscarora Mountain. Wendigos arise from black flame rituals, and Johnny Appleseed is handing out black flame wherever he goes. He must be stopped. Inquisitor Sheen gives out harsh looks. Not a single one of you gentlemen sitting around this table feels he has the time, money, or manpower to escort me safely through the Goblin King's territories between here and Tuscarora Mountain to investigate. I declare by the authority that Holy Mother the Church has invested in me that if the Baron of Amherst can provide suitable soldiers to escort me safely to Tuscarora Mountain with haste, I will grant him the Crusader's Cross and a plenary indulgence exempting him from any of the punishments you may have had in mind for him. We must reach Tuscarora Mountain before Appleseed eludes our grasp once again. A cunning grin returns to the gate tower captain, and he says, That goblin king, Gog the Destroyer, ain't much of a king, but boy, he's got the Destroyer part down all right. Weren't a single goblin who took a liking to Gog in them Magog forests, but they's all scared witless of him. Them goblins ain't happy till they got some sicko as king who whips the snot out of them day and night. Mark my words, you go traipsing through them irreverent lands with a man of God and you's inviting a right ugly death. Ain't no army going to save you. I betcha they ain't enough miracles in the Bible to get you all there and back again alive. The Inquisitor is unfazed. Miracles, my dear captain, are God's calling cards. As a man of God, I deal in them every day. The tough captain chokes out a cynical laugh. Like I says, sorry I's got to be the one to break the bad news to you, but miracles ain't good enough, not when it comes to Gog and his Magog goblins. The Elusive Pumpernickel A loud bang at the door startles the gathering. 
The captain of the guards races to the door to check out the disturbance. No sooner does he touch the door than it breaks off its hinges and crashes into the captain's face. Sir John Henry, a heavily muscled ranger of African origins, slams the door clear off its jams with his massive wooden mallet. He steps inside the room, and more leather-armored rangers flood in behind him. Master Cornwell quickly lifts a lodestone rod from under his robes to ward off the invaders, but his sorcery only sends the steel blades and mail on the Ithaca town guards flying backward. The rangers have no steel on them, being clad in leather armor and brandishing wooden mallets, clubs, quarterstaves, and bows with bone or silver-tipped arrows. Having experienced the mayhem caused by three hundred budding sorcerers at the walls, Sir Robert Roger and his rangers are a little worse for wear, but all the wiser. The brawny ranger, Sir Jim Bowie, holds a large silver knife, whose sleek design would later become the pattern for his famous line of Bowie knives. Neither source stones nor magical wands have any effect on silver, but somehow silver has a devastating effect upon the undead. Sir Jim Bowie was not the first to discover this, but the silver war knives he would go on to craft after his retirement from adventuring have since become extremely popular with young adventurers. Capitalizing on the element of surprise and taking full advantage of the agility their light armor affords them, the rangers quickly surround and knock out of the fight any remaining town guards. The Aranish bard among the rangers, Sir Gilbert Sullivan, skilled in Batyrek and hefting a huge blackthorn shillelagh, pounces on Chancellor Cornwell and his battle-sage bodyguards, knocking the lodestone rod from the Chancellor's hand and kicking the other two over. Now, don't be making a fuss, gentlemen. Methinks it wouldn't sit well with the missus to hear that I knocked about such noble bollockses as yourselves. The mayor and the coroner hardly get a chance to stand up and spin their heads around the room before they find their hands tied behind their backs. Sir Robert Roger shoves them back into their seats and hovers over them menacingly. Thank you for the warm welcome, Mr. Mayor and Honorable Sir Coroner. But I know you have other guests coming. The Baron and my boys are sick and tired of crashing parties. The Mayor cries out, How did you manage to get in here? The only way in is through Easy Street, and I've posted more guards there than along all the other roads in Ithaca combined. Sir Robert Roger points out the back window. The road to Easy Street goes through the sewer. Amherst twirls his fingers gracefully in the air. But wait, my valiant ranger captain. The mayor and I have just come to an agreement. You and your company of rangers are about to become the secular arm of the Holy Inquisition to root out the Black Flame heresy from Vinland. Why would setting a different color fire make someone a heretic? Sir Robert Roger asks, still trying to process why the Baron is trying to call off this overwhelmingly successful rescue mission. Permit me to explain interrupts Inquisitor Sheen. The Tuscarora elves were using black flame to dabble in necromancy. Their goal was to raise up an army of obedient thralls. Instead, they reanimated crazed, bloodthirsty undead whites called Wendigos who hate life in every form. They killed trees, animals, and innocent travelers. The holy office of the Inquisition took all sources of black flame from the elves to stop them, but Johnny Appleseed seems to be offering them a new source of it. He must be arrested and questioned before the elves return to necromancy and stir up any more unnatural troubles in the heart of Vinland. Sir Robert Roger still cannot believe it. Why would such a nice old man have so sinister intentions? Under the guise of seeking reform, he has shaken the church in Vinland to its foundations, claiming to build a new church. What arrogance and pride! 
We suspect that he has already seduced the famous Archbishop of Fort Detroit to his ways, and he must be stopped before any more important ecclesiastical figures are led astray. The Baron of Amherst puts on a piteous frown. This is a grave threat indeed. I put my troops at your disposition, Holy Inquisitor. But alas, a great many of them lie out in the roads and fields around Ithaca, exposed to the rain and chill. They are cold, tired, sick, and wounded. If only we could find suitable housing from the elements. Surely then I could spare these dauntless rangers to do God's work. Inquisitor Sheen announces to the edgy men around him, David entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Vow to send these rangers of yours to Tuscarora Mountain, and I will have the respective rectors open Holy Savior Benedictine Monastery and the Church of the Annunciation to house your troops, after we repose the Blessed Sacrament to a secure location, of course. Your troops will receive protection from the elements, warm soup, and fresh fresh blankets. The monks and clerics will tend to the sick and the wounded. With almost childlike glee, the Baron of Amherst says, God has answered our prayer for deliverance. Sir Robert Roger, take your rangers to protect Inquisitor Sheen all the way to Tuscarora Mountain and back. The coroner interrupts the jubilation of the moment, saying, one month, Lord Amherst. If your rangers fail to show up here in one month, we will have the right to nullify your crusading vow and send your head to the chopping block. Inquisitor Sheen stomps his foot impatiently. Enough bickering. The heretic Johnny Appleseed has slipped through our fingers too many times. We will leave at first light in the morning. Rangers, are you ready to take up the cross? Sir William McIntosh swipes an apple off the table and tells the Baron, You know... No one could stop us if we decided to just uptail with the wind and blow out of here scot-free. The Baron of Amherst is having none of it. I gladly submit to imprisonment at the hands of these men. The delays I face in reaching New York, uh, New Amsterdam, are insignificant compared to the blessing of having the Holy Inquisition as an ally. <laughs>